Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Priest and missionary Father Vincent Lebe was born in Belgium in 1877 and had already decided as an 11-year-old boy to become a priest. He came to mainland China just after the Boxer Rebellion at the turn of the 20th century, in which many foreigners were killed. China analyst and author Mark O'Neill joins me to tell me about the life of this courageous man who put his local Chinese community above everything else and advocated the localization of the Catholic Church. His outspokenness on this issue and also other aspects of social welfare for his community would get him into trouble with more senior members of the church hierarchy, but won him the support of the Pope. In the north of Taiwan, in the north of Taipei, they have a memorial to the martyrs of the war with Japan. And there are many Chinese officers, men, remembered there. But there's also a monument to this Belgian missionary, Father Lebe. And he's the only foreigner who is included in this memorial. Uh, he's very well remembered in Taiwan. There are schools named after him. And a missionary order in Taiwan has asked the Vatican to beatify him. I mean, he's, he's admired to that extent. So the beatification process is ongoing. I think it's going to take a long time, but it's been started by a, a religious order in Taiwan. Tell me about where this priest first comes from and how he comes to China. Father Lebe was born in 1877 in Ghent, which is in Flanders. In Belgium? Yes, and his was a very religious family. His father was a notary. His mother was half French, half English, who converted to Catholicism. And as you know, p people who convert tend to be more pious than people born into it. So she made the family extremely religious. And both Father Lebby and his younger brother both became priests. And when he was 11, he read a book about a Vincentian missionary in China who'd been martyred. And this book inspired him so much that he said, I want to become a priest and I want to become a missionary in China at age 11, which is quite extraordinary. So he joins the uh, Vincentian order and goes to a seminary in Paris where he trains for the priesthood. And the Vicentian order at that time is the Catholic order that's most prominent in China. Previously, it had been the Jesuits. And the Jesuits had been expelled because of the fact that the Pope had deemed Confucian rites, that's the honor of ancestors, to be idolatrous. And the Jesuits had, had been expelled from China by the emperor. So the Vincentians were the most prominent Catholic order in China, which is why Father Lebi joined, joined them. And while he was in his seminary in Paris in 1900, the Boxer Rebellion happened. And as we know, many... Uh, missionaries were killed, uh, Catholic Protestant missionaries were killed, many Chinese Christians were killed. And you might say, well, that's a very good reason not to go to China. Go so to, wasn't go he to another country. Wasn't he afraid? Well, um, the, the records show that he was, had rather the opposite response, that he, he, he felt the Chinese church had lost priests and lost members and had needed to be rebuilt. And so uh, he went to China the next year, 1901, and he was ordained as a priest. And he was sent to a diocese near Tianjin, which is a very large and important city at that time. So northern China? 
Yes. After Levy arrived, he reacted to the Chinese world in a way different to the other missionaries, especially the other Catholic missionaries, because he considered that a missionary must completely identify himself with the country that he's in. So he threw his energy into learning Chinese, into writing good calligraphy, being able to debate serious matters with intellectuals. He wore Chinese clothes, but he didn't wore the clothes of a, uh, an intellectual. He, sh he wore the clothes of a peasant. He even wore a pigtail because he wanted to be considered as a Chinese person. And this made him extremely popular with Chinese people of all levels of society, I mean, intellectuals, wealthy people, or common people. So he was extremely successful as a missionary. He, he converted a lot of people, and he was extremely active both in the religious sense but also in, in social work and work in the community. So from this aspect, his superiors were very impressed with him. But they didn't like the fact that he identified so completely. And he began to criticize his superiors for not setting up a properly Chinese church because the Catholic Church in China at that time was run by foreign missionaries and Chinese could only be assistants. So the whole hierarchy was in the hands of the foreigners and the Chinese were, of course, welcomed as converts but they were not allowed to have any power. To the extent that the churches run by the French missions, they would fly the French flag yes. on French national days. So we have Father Vincent Lebe in China at the start of the 20th century, and he has a very different attitude to many of the foreign priests around him. He's very much more a Sinophile, dresses like the local peasantry. But remind me, he's called Father Vincent Lebe because he actually takes his name from the Vincentian order, but what's his original name? Albert was his original name, but he wanted to identify with the founder of the Vincentian order, so that's why he took this name. He's based in Tianjin, which is these days a, a northern, in, rather industrial port city in China. In those days, Tianjin would have been still a major city already. Oh yeah, because it, ha it was a treaty port, so there were several foreign concessions there, and these were developed and modernized. Yes, and it was a very important port city. It was an industrial city. It was one of the industrial centers of China. And uh, Lebe and his associates, they started a weekly newspaper, and then they started a daily newspaper. And these had two purposes. One was to spread the Catholic message, but the other was to be a good, independent, objective newspaper. And it achieved this objective. It became extremely popular and extremely authoritative. I mean, this shows you the kind of energy he had. He was, he was operating on all fronts, and he was enthused with this missionary zeal to spread the message to everyone. So this was called Yi Shi Bao? Yeah, so it means the social welfare daily. At, at that time, you know, the newspaper industry in, in China was very unsophisticated. Did people mind that he was suddenly creating a publication? Well, you see, this would have been done in the concession, so the Chinese government couldn't do anything about it. But so he's in a treaty port, it's in the French concession, mm. and so uh, you have Chinese, obviously local Chinese, living there, mm. but it's actually run by the French. Yes. 
But uh, you find this very often in pre-49 China. Many Chinese people uh, did things in the concessions because they had a kind of protection that they wouldn't have had if it had been in the Chinese area. Very interesting. So in a church in Tianjin, in fact, he, there was the French flag flying. But what did Father Lebe do? Well, he thought it was preposterous because a, a church shouldn't have any flag flying because it's the place of God. It doesn't belong to a country or an embassy. So he removed it and he replaced it with a Chinese flag. Um, well, you could argue that there shouldn't be a Chinese flag either, but it's it's much more reasonable <laughs> since we're in China to have a Chinese flag. And you must remember, this was one of the main reasons why the boxers went after the Chinese Christians in the rebellion, because the Christian churches had abused the powers they had. And so many Chinese felt Chinese Christians not to be genuine converts to a new religion, but people who wanted to benefit from the privileges of the foreigners. And if the police arrested a Catholic or a Protestant, the minister or the priest would often go to the police, go to the government and lobby on his behalf. And the boxers very much used this and said the missionaries are just an agent of the foreign powers. As we are fighting against the foreign powers in China, we must fight against them too. So Lebby realized this and very much wanted to present the, the Catholic Church as a Chinese church, not as a foreign imposition. But in 1916, in fact, the French consulate in Tianjin tries to appropriate Chinese land to create a cathedral. What happened in this dispute? Well, the French built this very imposing cathedral in Tianjin, which is still there, and they wanted to have more land adjoining to this cathedral, and the French bishop very unwisely approved this. I mean, he should have said it was, you know, it's not a matter of religion, it's sort of civil matter, it's a political matter, but he supported this. The French bishop? Yes. So uh, Father Levy's paper lobbied against this and Father Levy himself wrote an article saying this is completely unacceptable, this is Chinese land, the French have no right to take it over. So this is then outside the concession or it's just Chinese land within the concession? No, it's Chinese land next to the concession, which the French want to add. And this article enraged his superiors because he's taking a public stance against the wishes of the French government and the French bishops. So they decide that he's too much trouble. Although he's a very good priest and he converts lots of people, he's too much trouble. So they move him to Ningbo, East China. And remember, in, at that time in China, people spoke completely different dialects. So the language that Father Lebe could speak would be the Mandarin that was spoken in the north of China. Now, most people in Ningbo didn't speak this. So he continued to, to be a missionary in Ningbo, but his effect was reduced because he couldn't communicate so easily with people. And finally, in 1920, he was forced to go back to Belgium because the hierarchy couldn't endure him, hmm. found that he was too much of a, a troublemaker and was embarrassing them and criticizing their position. And so they thought by sending him to Europe, they were getting rid of him and they could go on as before. But they completely miscalculated because he was already by this time writing letters to the Pope. When you write to the Pope, there's no guarantee he will read it. And of course, it depends on the 
view of that particular pope, whether he wants to read it. But he had sufficient guanxi, he sufficient connections, and there was a pope that was favorable to his point of view. So his letters were read, and he was invited to meet the pope in Rome. And he met him, and he presented to him face-to-face his proposals, which is that if the church is to survive and prosper in China, it's got to become a Chinese institution. It cannot be a foreign-led institution in which Chinese play only a peripheral role. And the Pope was very impressed by his arguments and issued this encyclical in 1919, which said exactly this. And if I can quote just one line which the Pope said to missionaries abroad, he said, Forget your own people and your father's house. Forget your own people and your father's house. In other words, you belong to the country that you're in. Forget that you're French or British or Irish. You know, you belong to China or you belong to India. And that's what you should do. And in 1926, the Pope ordained six Chinese priests in Rome. And Father Levy was there. And this is a milestone in the indigenization of the of the church in China. And so the hierarchy in, in China had made a big mistake. If they'd not sent him back, if they'd just let him go on be a priest in China, he would have continued to do his work, but he wouldn't have been able to see the Pope and he wouldn't have been able to lobby so much uh, face-to-face and get a change from the very highest level. As you say, it's that, I mean, that's extraordinary that this one priest from Belgium affects all this change. He's so enthused, he creates a newspaper. So that was where I was also interested. You know, it's called the Social Welfare Daily. I mean, this isn't just about religion. This is probably about ensuring, you know, if we go just return to Tianjin for a moment, this is ensuring all sorts of rights to a certain extent, surely. Well, another aspect of him we've not spoken about is that he completely identified with the Republic of China. He became a very strong Chinese nationalist, very much supporting the efforts of the nationalist government to make a new China on the ruins of the Qing dynasty. And he became extremely patriotic. And so in 1927, he applies for and becomes a Chinese national. And... I have not heard of any other missionary who has done this. I'm not saying there isn't one, but in my readings, I've never read of such a thing. Because, I mean, you've got family background. So, I mean, your grandfather was also uh, a missionary in China and spent most of his life there, learnt Chinese, and was courageous during wartime China and was very loved by his community. But he didn't go quite as far as Father Lebe in terms of becoming Chinese. Well, no. I, I mean, I think the vast majority of missionaries, they were very devoted to the people they were working with. But, you see, if you become a Chinese, you lose the protection of the foreign power. So if there's a war or there's a kidnapping or something very unusual happens, you do not enjoy the protection of your embassy or your consulate. And it's also a question of identity. You want to keep the choice to return to where you came from. And my grandfather, for instance, he would wear Western suits all the time. Uh, At home, he ate Western food. So... He was very identified with Chinese, but not 100%. He still wanted to keep a part of himself as a Western person. 
So this would be the case with most missionaries. In the case of Father Lebe, he had this newspaper. There would be lots of records on him, but um, did he also have a lot of personal writing? Well, yeah, because he's a very famous person in terms of the Catholic missionary effort in China. So he's written about by many scholars and his papers are in the University of Louvain in Belgium. So it's not difficult to find out about him. And as you say, he also wrote a lot himself. He's obviously an incredibly tenacious character. I mean, he's enthused, very hard-working, lots of energy, gets going, you know, early on with uh, this newspaper um, and is not at all worried about or frightened by the idea of taking on people in position of authority. So do you feel that he was a little bit anarchic or do you feel he just had a very strong sense of, of what he felt was right? Well, I think if you came to China in the years he did, 1900s, 1910s, 1920s, and you looked around you and you were a person of feeling, I think, of course, you would say that China was a semi-colonial country in which the foreign powers enjoyed enormous privileges and the foreigners enjoyed enormous privileges. And you are a Catholic priest and you are saying that we are all equal under God, we are all children of God, we should all be treated the same way. And there's such an eminent contradiction between what you're preaching and the reality of what you see around you. So uh, I think he interpreted very literally what he had learnt and he had believed and he implemented that. Whereas I think other missionaries would be as w aware of it, but they regarded it as more politic and more practical not to articulate everything and they also wanted to keep their own positions and perhaps many of them believe that um, you know Christianity was a rather complex matter theology is quite complex and that they understood it but most Chinese would not be able to understand it so therefore it was their right to remain in power and to control the theology and control the churches because only they were qualified to do it now obviously Father Lebe didn't agree with that point of view Father Lebe starts in Tianjin he's then moved to Ningbo in eastern China before being moved again back to Belgium but that doesn't stop him and that's in 1920 and uh, he ends up writing to the Pope uh, which results in the maximum elude decree issued by Pope Benedict the Fourteenth in 1919. So, you know, Lebe had already been in touch with the Pope, and so around that time this decree is issued. So he returns to China in 1927 and takes Chinese nationality. Is he still working with his the same priesthood? They, does he have to then ask permission to go back out? What happened was he was at that St. Peter's Basilica and there were six Chinese ordained and he offers to work for one of them. So that person agrees to take him. So you're right, he remains with the same order, but in terms of authority, he's working under this Chinese priest, and that's what he wanted. I mean, he wanted to be part of the Chinese church, and he comes to China, and he takes Chinese nationality. He gives up his Belgian nationality. So his superiors are still uncomfortable with him, but for them, the situation is now very difficult to control because he's, he's well-known, um, he's extremely popular among Chinese. He's a very good missionary. He's a very good priest. He sets up two religious orders in China. So how can they take steps against him? So he comes back to China and he continues his work uh, just as he did before. 
And as you can see, he's completely identified with China now. He doesn't wish to stay in Europe. And then um, in 1931, the Japanese take over Manchuria and the Japanese army starts to threaten the north of China. And in response to this, Father Lebe sets up an ambulance brigade. And their job is to remove wounded soldiers from the battlefield and to help them get treatment. So he sets, he sets up a group of about 600 people and this is what they do. And this is dangerous because, of course, they're near to the battlefront. But he considers this to be his patriotic as well as religious duty. So it's not really something you'd expect a priest to do. So where is he now? I mean, originally he's been in Tianjin, he moved to Ningbo, he spent some time back in Belgium. Now he's come back out working for a Chinese priest. Um, so he's now based in northern China. Yes, the, 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 the priest he's working for is northern China. But when he sets up this team of people to rescue the troops, this is based in northern China where the Japanese army is, is coming. So this will be north of Beijing, northern Hebei, uh, southern Liaoning province, those kind of places. So, I mean, I find him, I mean, he's an, obviously an impressive individual. As a Catholic priest, of course, um, there's no, you know, he's not going to be married, he's not going to have any form of family. So he's a very self-sufficient man with his Christian belief and a community man uh, within the Chinese communities that he lives he takes on Chinese nationality. And if we just do a recap to what era he's in, I mean, obviously, when you're talking Republic of China, that is Republic of China following the revolution of 1911, which overthrows the Qing dynasty. So you've got those subsequent decades. So this is all prior to the civil war in China and uh, communism that's all going to come in a couple of decades later. Well, he's very patriotic toward the Republic of China. And one of his missions is to make Chinese people love China and be prepared to fight for it in the war with, with Japan. And one of the, his Chinese friends said he loves China more than we do because, as you know, at that time, many people were very contradictory toward the nationalist government. And, of course, many Chinese wanted to leave. They thought China had no future. So here was this foreigner being so patriotic. And that's why he went to the war front, because he felt this is a war and this is what I've got to do. If I'm just sitting peacefully in my parish administering to my congregation, this is not enough. So when the Japanese invade Manchuria, northern China, and uh, he's creating this ambulance service, in 1931. What was the outcome of that invasion? Well, what the, the Japanese did was they conquered Manchuria, but then gradually they encroached more and more over northern China. And then in 1937, in July the 7th, they, there was this incident, the Marco Polo Bridge, and that started the all-out war with China. So Father Levy runs this ambulance team for six years, then he hands over the authority of it to another priest. And he's very close now to the KMT government. So the Kuomintang, the, the nationalists. So in 1939, President Chiang Kai-shek gives him a new assignment. And this is also extremely dangerous. What the president wants is to him to go into areas which are behind the Japanese lines, but are heavily infiltrated by the communists. And his job is to m mobilize people for the war effort. So 
he's now got to fight two enemies. He's got to avoid the Japanese. He's got to avoid the communists. And yet he's got to be publicly mobilizing citizens for the war effort. So, of course, this is extremely hazardous. And what happens is he's captured by the communists in Shanxi and he's detained for 40 days. And remember, he's a Chinese citizen. He's not a foreigner anymore. And he's working on the orders of President Chiang Kai-shek. So the communists treat him as a KMT spy. And he's not at all well treated. There are different versions of what happened during these 40 days, and some of them that, that he was tortured and his ill health was not treated. I mean, how old is he by this stage? He's born in... 1877. Oh, yes, so he's already over 60. So f after 40 days, the communists release him, but his health is, is very poor, and he goes to Chongqing, which is the national capital, and that's where he dies a short time later. So from the KMT point of view, he's both a martyr in the war with Japan, but he's also a martyr in the war with the communists. He's greatly honoured and remembered these days on Taiwan. Indeed so, both for his religious work, but probably more because of his patriotic work, his identification with the ROC, his service during the war. The Republic of China. And, uh, of course, the Catholic Church in the mainland moved to Taiwan and to Hong Kong after that. Because Chiang Kai-shek was quite devout, wasn't he? Yeah, he wasn't Catholic, but, uh, I mean, when the, the, the communists expelled all the foreign churches, so some came here to Hong Kong, some went to Taiwan, so... There are many Catholic churches in Taiwan, and yes, he's very well remembered. I mean, the missionaries went to Taiwan and continue their work. So he's very well remembered in Belgium. He's remembered uh, in his hometown. He's very well remembered in Taiwan. And there are those in the Catholic Church that see him as a visionary for Vatican II, because you remember in Vatican II, 1962, there was this, these enormous reforms about making the Catholic Church a sort of localised church. It wasn't any more Rome-based church with all the services, of course, in Latin in those days. But the Pope said that the services had to be in the local language. And this was very much Lebe's thinking. So he was years ahead of his time. And we may well wonder whether if Lebe's reforms had been adopted in the 1920s or the 1930s, the Catholic Church in China would have been quite different to what it was. Because in '49 it was only partly indigenized because there was a lot of resistance among the hierarchy here. So although the Pope issued these instructions, they weren't carried out very aggressively in China. But if Lebe's arguments had been followed, then... Yeah, I think the Catholic Church in China would, by the 40s, have been a completely indigenous church with Catholic bishops and Catholic priests and the foreigners in more of a secondary advisory role. Wow, that would have been different for today then, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, of course, the question then is, well, you know, would the communists not have taken power? But no, I mean, because that's... <laughs> That's another question, and that, that's, that's due to many different factors, historical factors, military factors. So, no, we can't say <laughs> that if there was a, a Chinese Catholic Church, the communists would not have taken power. No, we can't say that. But, but uh, I think Lebe's message is not only to China. I mean, Lebe's message is for the Catholic missionary work all over the world, in Latin America, in Africa that to survive and to prosper, you must localize. You cannot rely on 
imported priests or imported doctors or uh, imported teachers. I mean, they are very important in the beginning, but for it to survive and prosper, it has to take root in the soil. So this is the legacy of Father Lebby's thought, not only in China, but around the world. My thanks to China analyst and author Mark O'Neill, talking there on the life of priest and missionary Father Vincent Lebe, who was born in Belgium but dedicated his life to his Chinese community. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>